Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And of course, the biggest news of right now is sunset. It just ended. The waves were incredible. Uh, some of the performances, well, I'm sure you've seen it. But Stacy and I are about to break all of that down. And after that, Buck is going to hop on and we're going to talk about everything else that happened this week from Stab in the Dark to a story he wrote about Nazare and the upcoming ISA World Games and everything else in between. So let's drop in. Mikey, I take full responsibility for the first couple of days being absolutely dog shit. Do you also take responsibility for the last two days being absolutely incredible, perfect sunset? Nah, no, I only like to take the losses on the chin, really. Like, taking a win's kind of easy because that's sort of what we all hoped for, really. Um, I also, we can't dodge public holidays at sunset, which is a bummer. <laughs> used to be Thanksgiving, and I had no idea about President's Day, and uh, that was another massive blunder on my behalf. There's absolutely no way that event could have run in four days. They had to have the day off. So uh, I think that's two shockers and one okay call. still kind of evens out as a shocker, is sort of the way that I was thinking uh, we about We saw it. it at Pipeline, Stacey, and it's just a law of the human condition. Peak and rule. We ended on a high note, so nobody even remembers those first two days in... Yeah, pretty dog shit conditions. You're right. It was terrible, terrible <laughs> waves. And um, I think that the men that lost are probably pretty bummed that they had to try to get through that to get to the good days. And the women are probably really stoked again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, wowee, that's two from two events where the women absolutely belted it. Truly this time belted it. <laughs> One turn in particular comes to mind, but we'll get to that. Um, Stacy, how do you want to go through this? Because there's so much to talk about, but I think there were a couple specific moments that caught your eye. The most specific moment was to, for me is that we actually know our shit, Mikey. We picked the winners. Yeah, we did it. We did it again. Feels good. Feels good. I would have been jumping for joy. Obviously, I'm pretty stoked to see Robbo win. I think that he's obviously uh, a deserving champion. But if Ryan Callanan had oh. pulled it off, man, or oh, you would have never <laughs> shut me up for the rest of the year if I called that one. That was pretty good. We both got uh, an underdog into the semifinals. You had Ryan. I had Brisa. That was pretty cool. Um, and then we both had a finalist. You had Jack on the men's side, and he was the winner. Congratulations there. And then I had Molly as the woman. So she obviously went on to win hers. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good event for the boys. And hopefully anybody that followed us on the betonline.ag side cleaned up as well. You were scared to even put any bets on this event and you cleaned up again. You're two from two in the black. Two well for done, two Mike. in the black. Two for two with a comma in the account. That's that's pretty big for me. Like, yeah, I was feeling pretty nervous. But I actually, I took your advice. I put money on Jack to win. So thank you for that. That definitely helped me on the men's side. I got some money from Molly on the women's side. And then I went, um, I had some pretty good heats as well. I actually, my biggest bet, I put $812 on Betty Lou in the semis against Caroline. It just looked like such a mismatch to me. So I, I uh, risked the max amount on betonline.ag. And it wasn't as uh, lopsided of an affair as I'd hoped for, but ultimately we got the win. So yeah, it was, it was another good event. Talk to me about your heart rate on John John Florence v. Our Boy David Silver. Oh my God! Yeah, I actually um, so I put I put a thousand dollars on John, who was paying negative one thousand, meaning that my thousand dollar bet would only net me a hundred dollar return. Oh my! And it just gosh. it's so disrespectful, honestly, to David Silva that I would even do that twice in a row. I did it at Pipe as well, but it's just like God, I, you know. We actually talked about David Silva the last time we were on here about how his backhand is really good, but I watched him in the first round and I was just like, he just doesn't. Ha There's no way John's losing to David Silva at like messy all over the place sunset. And fuck, that one was a lot closer than I would have wanted as well. Um, so <laughs> that was crazy. Ten John points to eight points or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> you know what? One of these days, one of those is really going to come back to haunt me. But um, mm. but also that's how. That's how I've been able to to just put some runs on the board, you know? Like, when you have mm. one of those heats that is just as close to a sure thing as it can be, and in surfing, that's maybe we're talking, like, the 85% range is about the closest you can get to a sure thing. Like, mm. I don't know, I just think you got to go hard at it, because there's so many other heats that are basically 50-50. You're just flipping a coin. Um, so when you see one that you really like, you just got to go for it. Or on the flip side you see somebody who's the odds are um, 
basically against them really strongly and you know that they're actually their actual odds of winning that heat are close enough to 50 50 you got to push on those as well no for sure i did want to talk about gabriella bryan Sawyer Limblad yes, paddling interference on Sawyer Limblad. What did you think? Uh, my initial thought was no fucking way they call that because in my experience they never call that. Like mm. that is one of those things that the WSL has just kind of always looked the other way toward. Obviously, the person who's paddling out, they're not trying to interfere with the other surfer. They're just thinking, I don't want to catch this lip on the head. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like the most natural human instinct is to avoid your own pain. But in everyday surfing, you kind of can't do that, right? So it's like, why should you be allowed to do it in competition when it arguably matters even more? Like, you know, that barrel to Gabrielle O'Brien wasn't just a barrel. It was just adding points to her total to make it to the next round where she's going to make more money and, you know, get further up the leaderboard and have to not worry about the cut as much. So I didn't think they were going to call it because that was the precedent they had sent. Holden did a really good piece on the site comparing it to that moment in 2019 when Zeke Lau ran over Jack Robinson coming out of a barrel, and they didn't make the call, um, and Jack won that heat as a result. Actually, he would have won no matter what, even if they gave him the interference, but that's also considering that they didn't give Zeke credit for making it out of that barrel, so it gets a little complicated. But anyway, we broke that all down. Turns out there was a rule change. So, um, yeah, do you want to break that down a little bit, Stacey? I, th- I mean, I think it pretty much came from the Zeke incident, right? Yeah, it, it had to. Uh, I think that, um, and I think rightly so, and I think the punishment's fair for the crime because it's such a hard one to say whether or not the surfer's doing it intentionally or not. But, you know, in this instance, the new rule is if it's deemed that the surfer, you know, interfered with the rider on the wave, you kind of get, you know, the old school interference which is half of your second score which at a wave like sunset you can still definitely win a heat if that happens to you it's obviously unfortunate but that's what happened in this case and Sawyer was pinned um for an interference um but I think Gabby's kind of got to run her over to get the interference I think Gabby could have gone above her realistically yeah she was like yeah she was sure she was in her way but not so like if I think if if most high-level surfers are in that position, they're easily making it past that person. I don't know if that was intentional on Gabby's side to, like, try to draw the interference or if she truly thought that she couldn't make it around Sawyer. But to me, the real line, if you want to get tubed on that, is going above her in the first place. Mm. So there's there's that argument as well. Um, I definitely see both sides of it. But I think at the end of the day, if you're Sawyer, you got to go a different direction there, whether it's in or deeper, or something, but you just, you can't get in the way of someone's line on a perfect wave. I think it was the leg hanging out of the wave that kind of sold it. Like, she didn't even try to, like, duck dive just with the knee. Mm. Like, she fully extended, and, like, I don't know, it sort of made it hard to not call, because there's, like, a body hanging out of the wave. But, like you said, instinctually, you you don't want to get smoked. So, you are going to do everything you can to get out of harm's way, which is completely understandable and same for the surfer on the wave i don't think they're ever intentionally trying to um you know run someone over i mean unless they've got like a track record of it yeah i guess you could say that someone's doing it on purpose but you know 9.9 times out of 10 you're just surfing and everything's happening so fast and we watch everything in slow-mo replays which is kind of unfair in that situation yeah and it also i'm really glad that wcl set this precedent so early on and i'm glad that it actually didn't affect the outcome of that heat either Um, Sawyer was obviously really upset by that call you could see her indignant response and glares back at the judging tower like what the fuck but she made it through the heat regardless she got the next best wave um, and she decided yeah she beat Sophie McCulloch who is probably feeling not too great about her performance losing to somebody with an interference never feels good I can tell you that from firsthand experience Uh, so the WSL though they've made it really clear that that sort of behavior will not fly on the tour in 2024, which I think is really good for all the surfers to see and recognize because that definitely will change, I think, their behavior. In the same way that watching that happen in real time and watching the response to it, it actually made me be more conscious of it the next time that I paddled out. Like the next day I paddled out and I was kind of in one of those positions where 
you could go to the shoulder and maybe not get in the person's way, or you could go toward the white water. Like it just has like, okay, I guess I'm going to the white water. So I think it's a good reminder for everyone. Well, with your uh, with your Gold Coast trip just around the corner, you are definitely going to have to instill those tactics on the roping right-hand points of the Gold Coast, Mikey. So I'm glad that uh, it's come to your attention now because, uh, you know, the surface of the Gold Coast will thank you for it. Yeah, well, can you just go ahead and say that the waves are going to be terrible, which it looks like they are uh, <laughs> on my Atlantic, so that maybe actually something kicks up a bit? Oh, I'm going to say the opposite. <laughs> it's going to be firing, mate. <laughs> Fuck. Nah, it's not going to be firing. It's going to be fun, though. There could be something, but that something's a bit far away. But stay tuned. I'm there for five weeks. That's all I can say about that. we got to find... Something's got to happen. Uh, Uh, You're on. You might need to bring your um, your flood equipment for next Tuesday, Wednesday. But other than that... (laughs) We're gold. All right. Well, yeah, right now I'm in the, uh, I'm actually in Stab's California office in Oceanside on a little week long stopover to spend some time in the office with these folks. And then, yes, I'm making my way over to Stacey. I didn't even think about that. We get to do some podcasts in person for the first time in how long? Like three years, four years? Since 2019 in Hawaii. Oh so, God. yeah, a long time. Our first, I think we did two, no, we did one pod in person. That was it, right? Mm hmm. That was it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. First one ever. How time flies. I'm still sweating from how nervous I was <laughs> on that first pod. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was good times. But uh, we're going to test a bunch of boards. I want to say we're not the only ones testing a bunch of boards at the moment, Mikey. That is true. Let's get in to some surfboard talk. Betty Lou Sakura Johnson is on the program, and I love it. What program is that? Try Before You Buy. That's true. Slater Designs, Channel Islands, and Pizels all under her feet over the last couple of events. Although, I'm taking your word for it on the Pizels, so I hope you didn't stitch me up there. But certainly, she looks like she's got some a couple of different boards under no, her No, she feet. surfed the Pizel all of Sunset. She wrote a 6-0 next step. Beautiful. Uh, that's straight from John Pizel. And if you're Betty Lou, you got to be... Th- I mean, you can't deny that performance, right? She looked so good all event. She's had, along with Molly, like two amazing events back-to-back. Like, just looking so, so good. And, uh, yeah, you'd have to think that um, Pies is pretty happy with the boards that he's putting under her feet. Yeah, so it's yet to be seen. There's no deal in place. Um, It seems like she's going to keep trying boards. I don't know if she even plans on making a full decision, like, oh, I'm only going to be riding these boards. For some surfers, it may be that they like riding different boards and different venues across the world and we've seen that work for surfers throughout history so maybe that's going to be her go but if she's going to choose one i gotta say she's those paisels i don't think i've ever seen her surf that well and that solid like her surfing at pipe and stuff was also amazing but that's just a different type of surfing that's a bit of more point and shoot this she was just looking so connected and so spicy on her boards um so i would love to see her on those paisels moving forward on the other hand, there was another surfer riding Pizels in this event that I I just couldn't get my head around it. Did you see Tyler Wright? I didn't catch any of her heats, no. Okay, so she was riding a board that definitely stood out, um, first and foremost, because it was fluorescent pink. She was on the Jacko Baker program, but that was not the biggest thing. Her board looked absolutely tiny, like looked like she was riding... I don't know, the equivalent of like a little rad ripper out there, whatever. I guess for uh, Pizel, it would be like a, um, not quite a gremlin, maybe like a phantom or something like that. Of course. Mini ghost. (laughs) Yeah, mini ghost. Yes, precisely. Um, I talked to Pizel about this. And in fact, she was on a 5.9 next step, but a 5.9 at sunset, like pumping sunset. And Tyler, according to the WSL bio is 5.7. So her riding a 5.9, I mean, that's basically like an inch bigger than her shortboard, which is just insane to me that she would ride that out there. But Pizel said that she just felt really comfortable on that board. She felt the best on that. So she wanted to go out there. I think if she were to watch the footage back, she would probably realize that what feels best and what looks the best are not always the same thing. I don't know. It it clearly didn't look like the right board for the conditions, but I think we've all had that, that sort of magic board curse where it just feels so good, so we assume that it's the board we should ride everywhere, <laughs> mm. and it doesn't always play out like that. Totally, and I think the day too, like without watching it, but jumping to you know uh, another perspective on it was it was kind of smaller in the morning too, and it was kind of was running along the point a little bit. Like even Kanoe Igarashi had a wave in his heat, which was much later in the day that just didn't break on the same part of the reef that 
the rest of the day was on, you know, and sometimes you get caught in between like two strategies, like, okay, am I going to be a big wave Dave and wait for the big ones and just do one huge turn a la Molly Picklum? Or am I kind of going to comp out and try and get a sequence of turns in? And if your smaller board's feeling better, like you said, and you just have that connection to it, like sometimes that connection just overweighs what the logic but is. But a 5.9? Yeah, yeah, she probably rides a 5.7. Or a five six normal shoreboard. So going two or three inches up is is relative to you know it wasn't that big for the for the women on the first day. But if you're surfing sunset the bull, I don't think you should be riding a board mm. realistically. And maybe this is just like an arbitrary benchmark. But like I don't think your board should have a five to start <laughs> to start. You know what I mean? Like I just don't. I reckon you could ride a five eleven out there if we're talking about fives, Mister Five Five. I've tried to surf like even a six two feels kind of small, at least for paddling around out there but then when you get on the wave there's so many things going on with the wave too that i just feel like if you don't have that rail line you just feel like a bit lost and like you're yeah i don't know just spinning Mm. but that's me no i know what you mean and i think i think with the with the women what a lot of them have on the tour is like they have their favorite short board at five six five seven and then their next favorite number is typically a five nine like they don't have like you know to go to a six one is like I don't know, it is a massive jump. And obviously some of the women are happy to do it. But if you if you kind of like that John mentality where you feel more comfortable on a smaller board, like you said, even though it might look not as good, but you feel good, you just see people go with that feeling sometimes. Yeah. So another person who is probably going with a feeling that they've had for a very long time, Jack Robinson, was back on the Arakawas at Sunset. I believe that's just kind of part of his agreement with... Sharp eye that he can ride Arakawa's out in Hawaii because he just feels so comfortable on them. They obviously suit him so well out there. He's had multiple victories out at Sunset and uh, one at Pipe as well, a couple at Pipe, one on the CT level. So that makes sense. Um, another surfer on the Arakawa's, however, that this is a bit of a new one, Katie Simmers. She's another woman who's been trying a few different types of boards uh, in in the preseason and now even on the tour. Stacy, what do you think? Yeah, I think that leaning on the Hawaiian specialist shapers is something that's really important particularly that age in your career uh and if you you know your main shape is happy and 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 cool to see you collaborate like that then i think it can only be beneficial so you know i think we'll see more of it for sure and i think it's a great call whether it's a a pang arakawa um takoros manamis like any one of those guys that have had that experience at that level you know it's you've kind of it's you can't ignore it. No. And like another, I mean, Brisa Hennessy, well, she rides Pangs all year long, so that's not a big change for her, but she made the semis again. She was my dark horse pick, as we said. And then Kanoe Igarashi, who obviously rides Sharp Eyes most of the year, and he made the final. He was on a Pang. So there is just this bit of Hawaiian dominance going on. Uh, Molly Picklum stuck on her DHDs, so she's been seeing a lot of success on them throughout the Hawaiian leg. But yeah, it is really interesting to see all these different boards that people are riding. And then this is known, this has been going on for a little while, but Baron Mamiya signed on with Channel Islands before the start of the season. He obviously had a win at Pipeline on them. Um, And Seth Moniz has been riding Sharp Eyes for a little while now. His sharp eyes to me, I think he was actually, they said on the webcast that he was riding, um, they were Felipe, they were made for Felipe. But to me, I think that he looked like not necessarily himself a few times on the sharp eyes, you know, after most of his career riding to Coros out there. I think sharp eyes are boards that we've seen just bring different levels of performance out of people in smaller, more performancey waves. Like that's just been across the board. But that being said, I think maybe they're not as well designed for the bigger, more deeper water waves on tour like a sunset. Um, So yeah, that's the surfboard chat from the 2024 Hurley Pro Sunset. Let's get in to some come-ups. It's hard to stay away from how the event finished, Mikey. Pumping waves for the men and the women. And it's really hard to go past how good Jack Robinson is out Mm. there. Like... He is able to identify waves like such a fine line on those mid-sized swells out there where it's like the wave's too small to surf well and it sort of just goes fat into either the channel or the inside reef and doesn't really break properly. But he's got he's just got such a good read on the waves that are going to stay steep for, you know, two or three turns uh, that he's just, man, he's untouchable. Yeah, it's pretty... Somebody made a comment on the site saying that he has 
he's surfing a different wave than sunset and he has this sort of magic out there where he's just seeing it completely differently kind of like kelly does everywhere else except for sunset uh which i thought was a pretty astute sort of um you know pick up there and the other thing with jack is like first of all he's like seeing barrels and and this has been throughout his career the year that he qualified for the tour in 2019 via sunset he was finding the most like he's finding waves that are like properly slabbing out there you know which it happens but it's really hard to be in the right spot and put yourself there and he's just finding him all over the place and then on that uh 9.87 the wave that a lot of people thought should have been a 10 in my mind it's funny because like i understand that argument but i also feel like he almost botched like multiple parts of that wave and they only put him in better positions for the next thing if that makes sense like that first turn amazing turn but he caught his rail a little bit and it slowed him down and it sort of made him like fade back a little bit and then he was in the perfect spot for that first barrel and then he's in the first barrel and he's coming out and he sort of gets lift in the head and it throws him off balance and he kind of fades back again and it puts him in the perfect spot for the second barrel i don't know it was like the most perfectly imperfect surfed wave i've ever seen i still think though like when you're getting lipped in the head you've got no vision and he goes very quickly from being on the gas to being on the brakes again and it just is such like cat-like reflexes to be able to do that it's just not even real like he's so so in tune with his equipment and his body and the wave and even he said it he's like i've have never really been barreled like twice on the inside bowl before like that nobody so has that's not a it's thing all that kind happens well it's not you're right yeah and so it's like yeah it's that, in that sense like it's new for him too which is just going you know a credit to his how good he is in the here and now like he's just so good at being reactive like that and uh yeah it's an underrated skill for sure all right so a come up for me uh i just i could not get past that turn by Molly Pickwin. We were actually in the middle of a like a work call when that was happening. So we had dual screens going on and we were trying to focus on the meeting and we all just turned our heads and our jaws just dropped and we were like, did that just happen? Like it was, it just didn't seem real. Like she went up on a section that I was thinking about it. Like it is really cool how competition truly brings the best out of some people. Like I don't think anybody, man or woman, is going to try to hit that section in a free surf, right? Like no chance. Mm, no, not at all. No, no point. Like you're just going to get annihilated and break your board. Yeah, so she goes and does it because she feels like she has to when interestingly she, she didn't really have to in that heat, but she feels like she has to and she does the turn and she does it so perfectly. She times it just right where she gets as close to the lip in the oncoming section as possible while still giving herself enough time to get out of the explosion. She does that crazy airdrop. Her foot comes off the board and I... Is that the biggest turn ever done? Okay, two questions. Is that the biggest ton, turn ever done by a woman? And is that the biggest turn ever done at sunset period? Um, it's have to be up there for one of the biggest turns ever done by a woman, a woman for sure. Uh, I, I though without really checking the history books, I'd have to say Courtney Conalog's done some pretty psycho floaters and shit before too, though. Mm. So I'm not completely locking that in, but it's right up there. And then biggest turn ever at sunset. I mean, yeah, it's a huge turn, but like, let's not forget that floater that gabriel did over the tube and then pretty much did a 50 foot air to the flats <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough it's a huge turn like like and and deserves you know so much praise and again more just on like molly's overall hawaiian season had me thinking if you if you you know want to get thrown under the bus here for some huge calls is that one of the most dominant hawaiian seasons by a woman that's what I w- would like to know from you. Oh, you know Molly what? Piclum. Yeah, because I, I wasn't really putting the um, the Vans Pipe Masters in there, but you have to. Yeah, that was absolutely... Well, just in general, like she, you know, even if you just went the two CT events, like a tenant pipeline, massive turns at sunset, looking super connected, and above everything else, just clearly, clearly wanting it. There's no hesitation in any of her surfing, whether it's getting tubed or doing turns or strategical decisions or anything like that. It's all... It's all one gear and it's go, go, go. And uh, that, to me, is just so impressive. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the other woman who just has completely stepped into a new realm and asserted herself as an actual force and challenger for this year's world title, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. Like, what she did in these first two events has completely, Mm. completely shifted I think my perception of her and a lot of people. So she went from somebody who was really good. I mean, I remember before she came on tour, we were talking about her being a rookie and, 
you were saying she may not make the cut. And I was like, well, dude, this is like a future world champion. Like I, I thought that about mm. her when she was young, but then she came on tour and she kind of got lost in that middle pack, right? Which is really easy mm. to do on the women's side because it's such a small group and there's so much concentrated talent that it's hard to kind of put yourself into the, the real top pack. But this year she's absolutely done it. And I'd be shocked if she is not at the very least at lowers in September. Mm. I think she's a great advocate for having an injury and taking some time off and resetting. And then sprinkle on top of that some new sticker energy. Mm. Man, she's like looking gnarly. Yep. And then one other come up uh, that's kind of just happening a little bit sneakily under the radar. Could it be Jordy's year? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few a few messages in the group chat that have uh, thrown that around. For refresh me, what's he running with? A third and a third or? A third and a fifth. Third and a fifth. Uh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's the thing is, there's like the men's leaderboard, like John John's in first right now, but that is with a first and a uh, and a ninth, I think. You know what I mean? So not super strong. Mm. Jack's right behind him with a first and a seventeenth. I think just a third round, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like there's nobody's really been that consistent. Jordy's been the most consistent on the men's side this year. So he's. Mm. He's right in the equation. I mean, then you look at the tour and you're like, okay, they got good waves at Pipe. He did well. They got good waves at Sunset. He did well. We're going into Portugal, another event where he's done really well in the past. Bells and Margaret's, like, that's a great run of events if you're Jordy Smith. So, I don't know. I mean, let's keep an eye on it at the very least. we got to call it out. We're two events in. The guy's sitting way at the top of the leaderboard. He's due. That's all I can <laughs> he say. He certainly is. <laughs> he certainly is. And it's, uh, it's good to see John John back in yellow. I wonder if that feels kind of weird. There's, I think we're going to get into this, um, but there's got to be like a weird ominous feeling right now because there are a lot of names missing from the top of the pack that have been there in past years. That It just must be kind of like an eerie feeling right now tour oh for sure big time yep it's uh definitely has a new feel to it portugal's going to be very interesting let's get into some letdowns um i don't know that i really have too many apart from just laughing at the first two days and going oh my god it, the waves are rubbish and it's all my <laughs> fault that was kind of my only letdown okay i jinxed well, it. well i have two letdowns um one is the start of specifically gabriel medina's season and in a broader sense, the Brazilian Storm. Right now, the top-ranked male Brazilian on tour is Italo Ferreira at 13th. 13th. Mm. Can you remember the last time that there was not a Brazilian in the top five, let alone the top ten? Uh, yeah, I can. It was when Taj Barrow was still beating Adriano <laughs> D'Souza at Snapper. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I mean, I don't want to put too much weight on two events, uh, but you also have to consider the fact that Felipe's not here this year. Um, Gabriel hasn't quite been the same since he came back. Like, I don't know. It feels like there might be a little bit of a shift in the air. Big time. Uh, but then again, I, we'll obviously do Portugal when we get to that event. But uh, I reckon if there's any event where they're all going to come back swinging, it's, uh, you know, particularly Gabriel and Italo, it's, it's Portugal. Yep. Agreed. So we'll see. Again, another thing to keep an eye on as the year plays out. But, you know, two events turns into three, turns into four, and you never know. Uh, And the other thing is, man, I just feel kind of bad for Kelly. Like, I just don't know what he really does from here. Obviously, like, there we, we talked about him potentially retiring at Pipeline, but the wind, I'm sure, just got kind of, like, taken out of his sails when he saw first... Carissa, then Steph, then Felipe. It's like, oh, I can't just like be a part of this group. You know what I mean? Like he has to have his own moment. It didn't stop him in Jeffrey's Bay when Parco announced his retirement. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But I just like, what do you do if you're Kelly? Do you go all the way to Margaret's and presumably not make the cut? And then that's your farewell? Do you like somehow pray the WSL gives you another wild card to the back half of the year? Like that seems kind of crazy to me. I just, I don't know what you do if you're him. You're in, he's in a weird situation right now. Is he kind of still waiting on this, like, ISA games to go ahead in Puerto Rico to see if an American wins? Is that kind of still lingering? Is that a thing? No, because here's the thing. The WS or not the WSL, the uh, USA, Team USA, set very clear guidelines. Unless they, I, they could always go back on their word, but they set very clear guidelines about how they would choose that third surfer if and when they do earn it. So the ISA World Games are going to start, um, well, today, if you're listening to this. 
And the team for USA, I believe, is John Florence, Griffin Colapinto, and Baron Mamiya. And if they were to win, they would get that third spot for the men in the Olympics, but it would go to Baron based on his results on last year's world tour and specifically his result in Tahiti. So unless they want to go back on their word, they couldn't just give Kelly the spot because they want to. So I don't even think it's Which that. is how Caitlin got in over Moana, right? Exactly. That's the same, same principle for yep. the women. Yeah. Okay. So it's not even like a decision they're making. It's based on a preset determined, you know, rule book, basically, that it's like it's based on X, Y, Z criteria. Katie fit that for the women. Mm. Baron fits it for the men. So I don't think it's that for Kelly. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting one. Uh, he'll probably wait and see a Portugal forecast. I can't see him jumping over there early. And then, I don't know, he likes Australia and he likes surfing the box. So I guess you just round out the year and see what happens. Yep. So uh, that pretty much, I think, does it for Pipeline. We or not Pipeline, for Hawaii. But we, uh, we ended Pipeline with an incredible quote from Katie Simmers. I'm sure you know the one. And Sunset, Molly Picklum delivered an absolute banger. I don't know if you were awake for this one yet, Stacey, but it was uh, in relation to something that Lakey Peterson had said after winning her, I think, round of 16 heat, that she was going to uh, put the Grom where she belongs, and that was in reference to Molly. Molly got on the glass after beating Lakey and said, the Grom is where she belongs in the semis. The Grom is also on the podium and wearing yellow going into the next event. Oh, I love it. More of it. I miss that. That's great. (laughs) So anything else from you, Stacey? Um, Yeah, a letdown is being on the glass because you'll soon learn that when you hang out in the Northern Rivers, Mikey. That means something different over here. But yeah, that's it from me. Okay, well, I'll figure that out in a few days then. Onward, Stacey. (laughs) See you soon, Mikey. All right, so that was the WSL News. But some other things happened this week, too, that we thought were worth talking about. So Buck is going to come on. We're going to break them down. But first, a little callback to last episode. We found the answer to a very, very painful mystery. But we got it. Mikey, talk to me. Buckley, we figured it out. We did. Well... Somebody did. Somebody figured it out. Who? Wait, the the lady hawk? Yes. I knew this is this is how I wanted to start the program too. I have I have to vent a little bit by the end of this. This is gonna get ugly. So let's kick it off prettily, beautifully, and then it's gonna go pretty south quickly. Okay. Well, we go obviously ahead. put this out on the podcast last week. I got a lot of emails from that. None of them bore fruit. Um. So. But they're hilarious. They were hilarious. Somebody, an Abbott, Adam Robertson, bells at it? <laughs> Can we just not, are we not going to talk about that? Yeah. There, there was also um, a Sean Ward edit as well with like a thousand views on YouTube. So the fact that people's brains can still pull these things up, I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, I do want to give one that I'm not sure was it quite yet. Was it, I just want to give it a shout out. Harrison Arby's a random surfline edit. It was good. It was uh, Taj and Jordy, I rewatched. It. I was like, "This was sick," and I actually do kind of remember watching it. Plus, he told me to fuck myself, and I liked that, so I did want to give him. A oh, shout-out. okay. So you don't think that was it? Oh no, I do think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I thought you were gonna come up with some other angle. But... No. So okay, here. Okay, I have like this convoluted theory about all this, right? So the the majority of the responses that I got were from two different Rusty movies. One of which was Changes. And the other one, I don't exactly remember um, what it was. But anyway, these these two Rusty films just kept coming up, kept coming up. It turns out the Changes film did use a Ladyhawk song, but it was not magic. Um, and I think this was part of like a bigger moment at the time where Ladyhawk was just this really, really big band. And a lot of their songs naturally sound pretty similar. So people have this sound in their mind. Another one that I got a lot of was Jordy Smith in both Stranger Than Fiction and Days of the Strange. The Stranger Than Fiction song, it also has a similar sound to Lady Hawk. It was actually a different brand or band uh, called, it's P-N-A-U. I don't know if it's now. And it was that Embrace song where it starts off with those two alley-oops. Yeah, that's not fucking Lady Hawk. Whoever suggested that, come on. That's a classic surf movie song. That's still on the playlist over here. Yeah, so we got all these ones. And then I really started thinking like, oh, man, 
have we encountered surfing's Mandela effect? Do you know about this Mandela effect thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. Whoa, I didn't know. Whoa, didn't cross my mind. Yeah, so I was like, everybody knows this song, and everybody thinks that it's in, like, this major surf part, but no one can actually figure out what it is. So I'm like, is this surfing's Mandela effect? The Mandela effect is basically where there's, like, a collective misremembrance of something throughout history. Um, I think it all kind of like, I don't know if it started with, but the one that first uh, it was introduced to me with was like the Bernstein Bears, like the spelling of the Bernstein Bears, which was like a childhood book series or whatever. Um, you can look into the Mandela effect. The, the internet can explain it a lot better than I can. But we were in, I was in this moment, I was like, oh my God, like this is our thing. And then um, because Ladyhawk was just such a big band at the time, I think like we heard so many of their songs in other surf films that we probably went and found their album. And then this was one of the songs on the album. So then we connected that back to surfing in some way. But uh, you named somebody who sent you the actual clip. Uh, the person who sent it to me was named Rob Healy. So shout out, Rob. And, um, yeah, we took care of Rob with a, with a free premium membership. And maybe we can take care of your guy, too, if it was completely independent of Rob. Yeah, Harrison but Arby. But where this actually... Okay, Harrison Arby, we, Buck will reach out to you as well. But, um, yeah, so we also... We finally, from both of these people, we finally got sent a clip that was probably seen enough for it to be ingrained in, like, the collective surfing consciousness. And it was a Surfline Super Sessions in Bali with Taj and Jordy. That was by far the closest. I thought maybe when you said that you were all confident, I was like, oh, maybe there was some other thing that this wasn't right. But that was by far the best answer I got. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I have seen this footage before. This feels right. I liked it. I rewatched it. I was like, damn, I'm going to save this part. Because I, I do, like, I feel like there was an era where there was, like, five surf parts on the Internet, and so you just watched them all, like, 30, maybe 100 times. Um, and that one, like, that was, like, you know, peak... Taj, really good Jordy. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks to that one. And also, shout out to me. I was really tempted to make some bad jokes when you were talking about the Mandela effect um, <laughs> regarding historical events that absolutely happened. Um, shout out to me for not getting the program canceled. So, anyway, one I want to call out, Mikey, and this is why, and I know it's snowing in the U.S. right now. I've seen the fucking Instagrams. Some guy. This is why I don't go out there. Since I, since it was free when I worked at Quicksilver, and yeah, I got to go in a helicopter in fucking Canada with Travis Rice. That happened. It's a real thing. Get over it. Some guy named Traverse Johnson. Do you know what traversing is on a mountain? This guy's literally called Traverse Johnson, and he hit us up and says it's in a ski park. <laughs> what the fuck? This is why I don't go to the mountains, Mikey. Everybody's eating soup. They're fucking red-faced. You're strapped to your shit. It's annoying. Uh, it, it really, Traverse, what are you doing? Tell, tell me about a ski part. God The damn snow it. bros, man. I mean, you got to keep in mind. The snow bros. I haven't, they, I haven't gone off on them in a while. This one got me, man. Fuck Terjay Harakison. Go back to Fuel TV. All right, let's get to the news. Stab in the dark with Colohandino, episode three. So two new boards this episode. Those boards are shaped by Hayden Cox of Hayden Shapes and Timmy Patterson of good old T-Patch. How good are the shaper profiles? I mean, they've been, every shaper has got one that's been in this. Uh, but these two in particular were just, it just struck me how beautifully done they were. I know that sounds, could sound a bit like hyping our own work, blowing up our own tires here, but to be fair... I had nothing to do with creating these, so shout out to the team who did. I think Ethan did some research on it. I sent some Danny Johnson in there, but god damn, did you know all that stuff about Hayden and T-Pat? No, these are like mini films within a larger film. Like, <laughs> Yeah, these are like things that we would just put out as you know part of our proudest work. Um, yeah, so no, I, to answer your question, I did not know at least very much of the background behind Hayden, and especially Timmy Patterson. Uh, it's parents came from yeah i mean i knew Hawaii. timmy patterson was a was a yeah. legend but and like knew that he shaped boards for all those people but like fuck yeah go on to his story though sorry i didn't want to cut you off parents from hawaii yeah well I, I, actually i guess grandparents from hawaii and then dad moved to california started working for hobie alter 
Um, you should, again, this is one of those ones that like we can, we can talk about it on here, but we can't really do justice to what the team over there created. I think it was, yeah, to your point, Danny, Ethan, Shin, um, obviously Dill Roberts is a part of that. Yeah, it's, it's a big team, but um, you can see that everybody put their head toward this one and just fucking knocked it out of the park. Oh my God, great. Hayden's one too is awesome. Again, things that you may have heard about him a little bit, but just goes into his whole family history too, like back generations, and you're like, holy shit. Like you said, it's almost like its own standalone piece. But there's another shaper who gets something of a profile on this one who really steals the show. Oh, you there? mean the star of Stab in the Dark with Galohe and Dino? John Pizel? The star. <laughs> the star. John Pizel is the star of this program. How good? How good is that? There's something about that guy. I mean, DHD, Darren Hanley fam- famously said in How Servers Get Paid um, that John Pizel got kissed on the dick by a fairy. And I kind of started believing that now. He just has such good energy. And, like, if that's going to happen, like, if a fairy is going to, like, borderline suck you off, like, you're going to have good energy. And so there's just something about Pizel on screen that's just, like, you you have to love the guy. He's, he's irresistible. Yeah, and this is the second time that he's just kind of serendipitously showed up on a stab in the dark shoot. Granted, the first time was literally in his front yard. In- in so, front of his house, yeah. That's, that's yeah. on us. This one technically is in front of his other front yard. I think he's got a house right at Uluwatu, and that's where Kolohe happened to be filming. Um, but still, <laughs> it's it's a funny little um, Easter egg thing that just keeps popping up and stab in the dark. And this one, he like really gets into it. Like Him and Kolohe, they have some great banter back and forth. Oh. Paisal goes through <laughs> and actually tries to correctly guess all 13 of the surfboards. And I think maybe my favorite part was him just going on an absolute rant. Honestly, like, there's, they all feel so similar. Like, there's nothing like, like, there was a couple that are, like, really a little different feel to it. But overall, everybody was kind of, like, in that good little zone, it felt like. These boards could look nearly identical or very close, and they just have a whole different feel to them, you know? You have these basic feelings, right? You feel like, oh, this is... The rail feels like this, it's soft, it gets hard back here, it does this, whatever. And then it's where you scoop out like different concaves and what you put in between the fins and in between your feet that really change things. So you could have the same numbers in the tips, like say you had two and three eighths tail rocker and five inches of nose rocker. But it's not, those two numbers don't really matter as much as like what happens in between there and like how that's flattened out and the concaves that are running through there and just all the bends. And then that's just the long ways. And then you have, your, your bottom contours, like what runs crosswise in the boards. And then even just like fin placement, fin angles, fin, like you put a, the same board with fins that are upright versus like splayed out is gonna ride completely different, you know? So there's just so many factors that like, th- these boards could look almost nearly identical or very close and they just have a whole different feel to them, you know? I mean, I can't copy my own surfboards. So anybody that tells you like, Dude, I'm going to make you the magic board over and over again. Like, they're totally full of shit. And I don't I don't care what you guys say. You can't do it. There's too many factors that go into it. Like, you have a stringer. It's made out of wood. Every peak, like, you think every tree has different grain. It flexes different, and, and, it, and it loses its... It does all this different shit. Then you have a blank. They blow them by hand. They pour the stuff by hand. And then you throw fiberglass on top of that. There's different resins, different temperatures, things kick different, so you have a whole different setup, even if you're doing the exact same like layup and everything. Plus, you got a guy putting in fins, angles, then you have a guy sanding the board. So you think that all those things are gonna happen twice? No chance. But that's why they're called magic, is because you can't just make them over and over again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we did talk to Borst, who said, you know, he's got his hand-built machine that is doing different stuff than everybody else but yeah the way Pizel breaks it down that was just pent up I mean that's that's the pent up I mean frustration expression whatever you want to call it of a guy who's tried to shape John John his you know not just John John Tyler's on his team as well who's tried to replicate boards so many times just realized like no it's not happening like down very much all the way down to the wood like trees are different pieces of trees are different you're not doing it um so yeah that was that was also a highlight for me he was so good that we just interviewed him for the site after i think we might just do that every week (laughs) i I think we should this is 
can I can I do the next one? <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he had a huge week over in Hawaii. Um, Stace and I just chatted about it, actually. But, you know, Betty Lou was riding his boards out there. So it's, yeah, there's a lot going on in the Paisel world. All of it very She positive. looked fucking incredible. She did. Didn't she? Oh, my God, yes. All right, so we mentioned two new shapers enter here. And then Kaloha had sent three boards to Purgatory. They were the board from Chris Borst, from Paisel himself, and from JS. And so... We round out the final. By the end of this thing, we have the four finalists locked in. Uh, next episode drops in two weeks, so maybe we'll get more into that next week. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched yet. But, uh, yeah, it ends, too, with a little tease from the Unlucky 13. I think I think people will be able to figure out who that is. I think uh, he's prominent enough, especially right now, that people will know exactly who is checking out that Unlucky 13. And, wow, it's exciting times. It's uh Again, don't want it to sound like we're just pumping ourselves up here because I personally had very, pretty much nothing to do with this series. I'm just watching it, so I'm fucking loving it, though. I think this is this seems to be one of the best reactions we've had to Stab in the Dark, at least in my time at Stab, too, I have to say. Yep, I would totally agree. Um, and then also, so we, like you said, we're dropping the final episode in two weeks. That's going to be on March 5th. And we're going to be doing a big, big, big finale premiere here in California at the La Paloma Theater, famous surf film premiere theater, basically, in Encinitas, California. Uh, we're going to be sending out options to buy tickets to that. First, to our staff premium members, you guys are going to have the first right to refusal. And um, then everybody else will be able to fill in the gaps of what's less left over. Um, and Buck, I think you said there's something going on in Europe as well. Oh, yeah. Maybe we're going to the United Kingdom. What? You heard of that place? What? Yeah. And Portugal. And Portugal. Right around when the CT is about to kick off, too. So I'll uh, I'll share all the deets next week. And if you're a premium member, you'll get an email inviting you to these things. So, yeah, big news. We're global, baby. We are global. Unfortunately for, for the folks in the UK and Portugal, they're not going to have the four finalist shapers and Kolohe on site. That's only going to be at La Paloma. So they're going to get to see in real time whether or not they, they win this thing. There's going to be kind of a little, mm, let's call it a little workshop on the stage before the film premieres where all four of the shapers will be up there with Kolohe chatting about the series, chatting about surfboards, etc. And then of course we will have the big winner reveal at the very end. That's going to be incredible. I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to, I'll be able to go to the one in Portugal here, but, uh, that sounds like an incredible night at La Paloma. So very jealous of the people who get to attend that. And then last thing before we get out of here with Sab the Dark chat is, uh, of all the words used to describe surfboards over, I think even in maybe the All-Stars edition, Dane was breaking down some of the funny terms he used. Doughy, to me, is used this episode, and it was a first. I was like, that is funny to just describe the way a surfboard feels as doughy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really like that. So get to the premieres if you can, and if not, have a little party for yourself at home for the final two eps. Can we reverse engineer the 100-foot wave? This, I mean, okay, I wrote this one, and I guess what inspired it is just living close to Nazareth, seeing how that scene works. It's been, like, last winter was really slow there. Like, there's still, obviously, anytime it gets bigger than, like, I don't know, let's say 30-foot faces, even if it gets bigger than 15-foot faces, actually, really, um, there's teams out there doing their thing, buzzing around on skis, catching waves it hasn't really been like last year really didn't get big and this year really hasn't either like every i think if you saw the toe event there about a month ago that was kind of like one of the biggest days this year it wasn't that fucking big it was nowhere near some of the other waves that have been ridden there and so it's kind of in this awkward position because it seems like that's where the biggest wave ridden is going to be and the wsl changed the big wave awards to just be an award when somebody breaks a world record. And as long as people are trying to do that in Azuray, which seems to make sense because of the way it magnifies swell, it's it's just not really happening lately, which is weird to have like these years of surfing where it's just like waiting for a world, a world record that's like not coming true. Just these slow, like what's worse than smallish Nazare or like bigish Nazare, sorry. There's nothing, nothing worse than it. 
Anyway, so what I tried to do is figure out what it would take to actually have a 100-foot wave happen there. I know 100-foot is pretty obscure. I make fun of that. It's literally tied to an antiquated measurement that people thought was the average size of a foot. Kind of bizarre that we're attached to that. Kind of bizarre that an HBO series is titled that. But what I did was I got buoy data going back to 2010 and looked at the days the biggest waves so far were ridden and then tried to figure out, okay, what's the swell height and swell period reading on these days? Yes, swells are more complicated than that, very deeply so, but we did what we could with the data that we have. When I say we, that means me and Mark Sponsler of StormSurf. He helped me kind of piece through it because otherwise I would have been out of my depths. And Mikey, the short answer to this is... Can we reverse engineer it? Yeah, kind of. And it would be really fucking hard. Like in that data set going back to 2010, we don't really see what it would take based on these equations to have a wave that tall. And it really rarely gets bigger than what the biggest wave ever now was, Seb's wave. So that's kind of where this one's at. What do you think? Well, but did I not see that there was at least one day in there where the 100 foot wave could have theoretically come through? There was one weird moment where... It was like usually in the data you'd see like at least like it updates every hour and you'd see a few hour stretches of it. This was one really weird just little peak of energy. So I'm not really sure what it would have done. It was in the middle of the night and by the morning it was much, much smaller. Like it would have been probably capable of producing like 50 foot waves. So that was pretty weird. I don't know what would have happened that day. It was a really, really short just peak of swell which felt kind of weird, wasn't consistent with some of the rest of the data. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one. Well, okay, here's what I think. Like, it's almost good that it's basically impossible to create a 100-foot wave because I'm just thinking, like, what happens if somebody actually rides one? Like, it's cool for the moment. That person probably wins a bunch of awards and gets paid a bunch of money and stuff like that. But then, well, maybe that would actually be better for everybody because then everybody could stop surfing Nazare. Um, but yeah, I'm just like, what, <laughs> what do you think happens if somebody actually rides a hundred foot wave? Yeah, I guess Nazare just goes back to being like a little quiet fishing village. It's just it. <laughs> they call it a day, man. So I guess when the buoy, because this is what, this is what we came up with when we looked at everything. It would have to read, I mean, there's different ways to get to it when you play with, you know, you have the swell height and the swell period to play with. So you have to get numbers like 38 feet at 22 seconds. So when that comes, be careful, everybody who owns the tourism business in Nazareth, <laughs> because it's about to be over. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to call out in this is I know that not everybody is interested in Nazareth. I'm honestly not that interested in Nazareth unless it's like two foot. What I did with Mark is like I said, you have swell height, swell period. I was kind of had this, I had this kind of equation in my head that I would always use to look at like a simple way to look at height and period and try to figure out how big the waves are going to be. Mark had a slightly different one. I just want to call that out in here because I think it's super useful. Again, it's not going to tell you everything you need to know and it will be wrong in some cases, but as a rule of thumb, it's going to get you pretty close. And that is just uh, wave height in feet times period times 0.1. Write that one down. It's super easy to use. Period times 0.1 times the feet. And uh, that's going to get you pretty close if if you want to know how big the waves are going to be. So there you have it. Oh, to run through the numbers there, just because I, I was going to give an example and I thought it was funny. That equation, if you go six feet at 15 seconds, gives you a nine foot wave, which is the only time saying nine feet of a wave is ever possible. That's all. <laughs> What else is going on, Mikey? Tell me, what else? Well, what's good? Today, the ISA World Games kick off for 2024. And this is a really, really big year because it will determine the final Olympians to surf basically in Tahiti later this summer. So all the big nations and all the big names from those nations have to attend this year. It's in Puerto Rico. It's at a wave that actually has the potential to be really good, but just given the trade wind situation over there, will probably more likely than not just be kind of wind blown and whatever. Uh, but it could be a really sick slab if somehow the conditions align. Anyway, um, yeah, all the teams are going to be bringing their, their best surfers there. And they have to actually try this year, too. They put in some new rule, like you can't just surf one heat and basically <laughs> lose to someone from the Czech Republic. Uh, so, it, But how pumped would the Czech guy be? <laughs> yeah, just 
Give take out Gabriel. Um, and there's a lot of stakes here because one for teams like uh, you know the men's U.S. team, the Australian U.S. team, the Brazil, the men's U.S. team, the men's U.S. team, the men's Brazil team, the men's Australia team, and also pretty much the women's Australian team, etc. If they win this event on their side, they get an extra slot in the Olympics, which is huge for an individual. It's huge for the team because it gives them another chance at a medal. So everyone's gonna be pushing really hard in this one because you obviously want to get as many of your people into the Olympics as possible. Um, and beyond that, there's like a bunch of other slots that will go essentially to non-CT surfers just because the way that it works with the nationalities. So there's going to be a lot of like new names getting into the Olympics this year. So it's something that we're going to be keeping a pretty close eye on just to see who makes that leap and kind of sets themselves on a path for potential glory. Yeah, it's sick. I, I'm like, I'm going to tune into that. It's pretty sick. We're going to see who's going to be in the Olympics. It's like, this is massive. So get there, get to the ISSA games, give them a go. And then Mikey, I don't know much about this one other than Holden is writing it, but we have a story coming on who might win the 2024 world title. That's, I don't know. (laughs) Do you know? Who do you think is going to win? The world has changed so much in the past three weeks. It is wild from, you know, Carissa, Steph and Felipe pulling out to what we saw at these last two events with basically a bunch of Gen Z winners. Um, the yeah the grounds have completely shifted and it feels like I have no sense of which way is up and which way is down so I'm really curious how this one pans out we're going to be asking basically a panel of experts what they think about this Um, and I think we're going to probably get a range of responses and then at the same time uh, I think we're working on too a piece just about how with all these like major changes and what we've seen like really the impact of what the women did in Hawaii this year, because I I don't really think it can be overstated. Easily the most exciting thing going on right now. Easily. By miles. One more thing to just call out on that CT front. Like, if you, like you said, a lot of things happen with people pulling out, but if you were to tell me that two events in, Gabriel Medina would be tied for 26th with Cade Madsen, David Silva, Kelly Slater, and Sammy Pupo... I just would not. It's just hard to wrap your head around that fact. It's what is go- what is going on? I don't know. Um, and I just want to throw one question your way, Mikey, because I really like this surfing at sunset. I know it's a very different wave to lowers, but say you got Kanoa Igarashi in a heat against Jack Robinson at lowers. Who's winning it? Oh, God. Kanoa looked so good, and we know that those skills are are more transferable to smaller waves than probably Jack. So really close heat, but I think I might go Kanoa. Right? Right? It's just there's wild shit happening across the board. Again, I think the women are the most exciting right now, but it, it's just how can you look away from the WSL at this point? You never know what they're going to do. It could be pumping. <laughs> They'll say the comp's not on. It could be a woman doing the best turn ever done. The pull on that was a yes, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. On Molly's Almost turn? unanimous. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, so you never know what's going to happen in that league at this point, And you really can't look away. Portugal's right around the corner. I'll go around there, fuck around a bit, see what's going on. Supers has been quite good too. The sand, ah, this wall just hasn't been ideal for it, but, uh, hopefully that thing pumps. Cause when that wave's good, it's so good. And it's, uh, I think it starts March 6th. Don't quote me on it, but another week or two we'll be there. So a lot on. Oh, and then Harry Bryant and Dav Fox's Motel Hell is dropping this U.S. Monday, Feb 26th. So, Mikey, you've seen that. I have not. I've heard nothing but good things. I'm thrilled to watch that thing. I'm sure we'll be talking very much about it next week. Yeah, this is, like, unbelievable, truly. So we're going to get way into that. Um, We're going to have an interview with Harry as well, just kind of breaking down what he's been up to because... Yeah, those Australians have a way of um, kind of being around, but also being very secretive and like hoarding clips, really, really crazy clips at crazy waves. And that is exactly what Harry has done here. So, um, yeah, we're going to get more into his mind. And some of the themes of this film are really funny and interesting as well. So we'll break all that down next week. But, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, U.S. Monday. It's going live. Does he use any Ladyhawk songs? I don't think he uses any Ladyhawk songs, but it's possible he snuck one Ah, past me. All right, we'll see you next week. We'll keep you posted. But for now, it is time to go to the WQS, the World Quiz Series. We're going straight from the lakes of Geneva to... Where's this guy from? Uh, 
You'll find out. We'll all find out together then. Let's let's meet this guy. World Quisterious. Mikey. There he is. Finally, dude, it just made me download the Zoom app, and that was a whole thing on my wife's phone. It's bad. Anyway, we're here. We're here. I made it to the WQS. All right. Let's get our guy in here. What's his name? Uh, you're about to find out. Wow. Does he have a good name or something? You keep not telling me. Yeah, or something. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Hey, Chris, you're muted. Can you see? Uh, my video is working on my end. Yes. There you are. I got him now. I got him now. Yes, Chris Eames. <laughs> Buck, what's up, buddy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a surprise, Mikey. Thank you. You're so welcome. We got Chris Eves here, the 2005 Open Boys Northeast NSSA <laughs> Regional Champion. Um, a, a real competitor, a real force back in the day of me and Buck growing up in, uh, in New Jersey. Hey, you South New Jersey boys, we got a little bit overscored. I mean, I know you had the thing going with Joe Keenan, so no big deal. <laughs> But uh, water under the bridge, I guess. So here we are. We're on the WQS all together now, and I think we can move forward. I'm just, yeah, I'm think... still, I'm just still bummed that they just scored so many of your your credit card air reverses so high. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the ergophobia money or what? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. May have been, may have been a little bit of ergo cash moving behind the scenes, so. <laughs> The tour bus oh, 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 when I beat uh, Rob Kelly in the Grump Grudge match that one year with like a half a foot Superman, that was chaos. Oh. <laughs> uh, how are you, Chris? I read and consume more surf media than I surf nowadays, so that's hopefully in my benefit. <laughs> uh, let's put it to the test. Mikey, you want to hit him with that first question? Absolutely. All right, so in episode three of Stab in the Dark, it brings us a comprehensive list of the many non-endemic brands that Hayden Shapes has collaborated with to design products. Which of these is not one of those products? A, a wearable payment bracelet, B, a sex toy, or C, a speaker? Not, you're saying what is not? What is not? What is not? B. That is correct. Uh, Hayden Shapes has not collabed on a sex toy. Though it should be said that anything is a sex toy if you're brave enough. Uh, that said, too, I think the Hypto Crypto does have a pretty compelling shape in that regard. I think there's something we could do with that. Um, however, he did make a wearable payment bracelet with Westpac Bank and a speaker with Pantheon. So, Chris, you're one of the capitalists. Impressive. This <laughs> keeps it going. All right. Question number two. Can you go two for two? On her way to winning her second straight Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach, Molly Picklum bested all of her opponents from the round of 16 onwards by three-plus points. Who came the closest to beating her? Was it A, Brisa Hennessy in the semis, B, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson in the finals, or C, India Robinson in the round of 16? Ooh. Brisa wasn't in her semis because she beat uh, Katie. Um, I'm going to say Betty Lou because she wasn't combo. She had a chance at the end, though. She, it just went flat. You are correct. You are correct. She beat India Robinson by 3.67 points. And the way we had it, she beat Brissa by 8.37. She, there was a big, she did have Brissa. She, she yeah, did have Brissa? In, in the semi, yeah. yeah. Oh, in yeah, the semi. She, okay, that, that was a yeah, quarter. Yeah, she, they, Okay. She did a number on Brisa, who was surfing great all events. And then, um, yeah, the final, she only lost to Betty Lou, much to Stasis, who we heard on this program either before or after this. Stasis Chagrin, 3.16 she lost in the final. So Betty Lou did come the closest, and she only had a backup of a 1.5. So she was pretty close, but she couldn't get it done. Wow. All so right. Two for two. two. Yeah, you've technically you've won the Stab Premium membership. We're going to have to work out something else if you go three for three. Uh, coming in to the third question, this week on the site, we posted a story about a former Stab High venue 
and World Surfing Reserve. Playa Hermosa, Costa, Costa Rica. That's not the question, Damn. but that is the location. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where overdevelopment is threatening the surf. The question is, who won the men's and ladybirds divisions in the Costa Rica edition of Stab High? Was it A, Matt Miola and Aaron Brooks, B, Ian Crane and Katie Simmers, or C, Rasta Rob and Sierra Kerr? Ooh. <laughs> Miola split like the big air because he did that crazy backside full rotator into the, into the bottom, and there's the whole point in the Stab High where they're saying, like, launch it out to the flats or going high, and... Aaron won. So what were the options with Aaron? Matt Miola and Aaron Brooks. Or B, Ian, B, Ian Crane and Katie Simmers. C, Rasta Rob and Sierra Kerr. Shit. I guess Miola and Brooks because Aaron, Aaron won. Wait. That? Yeah. Yeah, she won because that was when she did the backside, like little mini backside grabs. Right? That is correct. Matt Miola won the men's division in an audience judge final. Aaron Brooks won the Lady Birds. I think still searching for the USA then back, back then, by the way. One for America. Uh, one for America. And 100% then, uh, for America. That just 100%. happened. <laughs> With a perfect 10 for her downwind forehand rotation. You're three for three. I think – actually, I'm not sure if you're going to get this one right. You knew that the monster air check was split, but who did Miola have to split that monster air award with in the end? Do you remember that? This is your bonus think- question. I think Ian Crane did a massive front side, like front side grab. And then, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm going to go with Ian Crane because he does those massive front side ones. I'm pretty sure he did one earlier in the trip and it was high, but then they're like, well, that's not as critical as Matt launching out to the flats. I think that's what started the whole debate. Someone did a big one and then Matt did the huge, like, break every bone in your body launch. All right. Well, Chris, you are a teacher. Um, you got 100% on your test, but you did not get any extra credit this time around. It was actually Aton Osborne who he split um, the monster air check with for a big frontside slob. Was, was it a backside or a frontside? Big frontside slob off like a steep, not an end section, like kind of like a middle of the wave section and landed perfectly back in transition. Oh, I remember that now. Shit. But did Ian you do a big frontside right? Syllable almost right. Eight, he did. Aton, <laughs> you know, you're knocking on the door of glory. Okay. Yeah. Still, though, a, a an impressive performance on the WQS. You're right toward the top of the leaderboard, so you're looking to make a charge into the Challenger Series soon. Congratulations. Well, yeah, we are, we're going to have to figure this Challenger Series thing out. Cause, <laughs> and either that or we have to just interview everybody from the lake because people are getting <laughs> these questions right. Yeah, we've got to go a bit harder now. We're going to go to the history books. We can go <laughs> do it. I right. thought. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. It was great seeing you. Thank you, Chris, for staying true to the 609, holding down the fort in Jersey for us, still sending it on oh. all the big winter swells. And uh, oh, yeah, it was great you, having Chris. you on the program. Have a good day, Chris. Enjoy the weekend. You too. Bye. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. Another big week in surfing and another one to come. We are so excited for Harry Bryant's Motel Hell. It's going to be dropping again on Monday, U.S. Monday. Um, I mean, it's I've seen it. It's incredible. Like, it's got surfing. It's got some funny parts. It's got this incredible moment where Harry makes himself very small. And you, you just, you'll get it when you see it. It's, it's really, really top tier surf cinema so that's a big one but um yeah we got a lot of other good things coming too so until then over and out